was Blue Boy with Grave Fission. Hey there friends, I'm Nuclear Yugi and welcome once again to a nuclear reading show. Today we're continuing on with KCAT's Fallout Equestria. If you're enjoying what I'm bringing to the cold, dark wasteland, don't be afraid to tell your friends about me or find me on Twitter as Nuclear Yugi. It's a big help. And a bit of a disclaimer, since the gangs can be a bit feisty, Fallout is owned by Bethesda, and Hasbro and My Little Pony, Friendship is Magic. With all that said and done, welcome, friends, to the Wasteland. Chapter 37, The Shadow of the Ministries, Part 3. Velvet Remedy made her way to us slowly. Her horn was still glowing and beads of sweat fell down her forehead. She was pouring most of her concentration into maintaining her shield, even though it was out of sight. Once we were outside, she would release it. The Necrosprite Swarm hadn't left the Ministry building in over two centuries. We were hoping it wouldn't now. I gave equal odds that either the magic woven into the Ministry walls that kept the Pink Cloud outside also kept the Swarm inside, or that the Swarm had remained here, drawn to the presence of the Black Book like moths to a lantern. I turned to stare at the pony-sized poster on the wall. I'd seen it before on a massive billboard in Manhattan. I hadn't liked it much then. I liked it much less now that I actually knew a zebra. Ponies love laughter. Zebras do not understand joy and fear it. Ponies are honest. Zebras only tell lies. Ponies are loyal. Zebras will knife you in the back. Ponies are generous. Zebras are selfish and greedy. Ponies care about each other. Zebras only care about themselves. Okay, here's the plan, I said, knowing the others would not like this. Everybody else runs to the Ministry of Awesome. I'm going to slip into the Royal Castle and set off the gala fireworks. Alone? You're gonna what now? Not a chance. The responses I expected. No, little pip, Calamity said as he swooped up close to me, backing me against a wall. I should do this. I'm faster, I'm more maneuverable, and I called it. This is my mission. I slipped out the MG Stealth Buck 2 and floated it before them. I can get in undetected, but it has to be me. Just me. I was the only one with a pit buck. There was no room for discussion. Pony feathers. Calamity spit, bucking his hoof through the pony-sized poster. If you find the goddesses, Velvet Remedy said slowly, still concentrating. I frowned. I didn't want to find the princesses. My mind conjured nightmare images of their skeletons fused together in the throne room, and my heart stopped. Just for a moment, I wasn't sure I could handle finding them, seeing where they died. I certainly didn't want Velvet Remedy to bear witness to such a devastating horror. If I find the bodies of the princesses, that won't mean I found the goddesses. They're transcendent souls. I ignored Calamity's snort. But you will tell me what you find, Velvet Remedy insisted. I really didn't want to. Promise me. I only nodded, feeling a tear form in my eye. I prayed to the goddesses that I wouldn't have to either honour that promise or break it. I begged them silently that I would find nothing. Calamity flew up to me again, this time with the pink gem in his teeth. He tossed it to me. Now you gotta promise me something, he said softly. You gotta promise me you're gonna do this. See it through. I looked at him with surprise. I quickly nodded. Of course I was. I'm serious, little pip. I really wanted to be me. He lowered his head, looking ashamed. 
I know in my heart, but my head needs convincing that we're still the good guys. I need this. I floated up the pink gem with its rune floor. Then maybe you should hold this, I offered. That way you'll know when it's done. Clamity shook his head. As much as I'd love it, y'all might need it. Without it, how else would you know it's worked and y'all can come back? He looked away. No way I'm going to leave you hanging just to satisfy myself. I nodded again and tucked the gemstone away. Calamity flew ahead silently. We moved into the stairwell and descended. The black book radiated an unpleasant coolness through one of my saddlebags. I was beginning to question whether I was really intending to give this to Trixie. Maybe my plan, whatever it was, would need revision. Or maybe there was something inside the book that would take care of Trixie once and for all. What was it that Rarity had told Applejack that the Black Book contained? Magic to tear souls apart? Maybe... maybe I could even save Twilight Sparkle. Ah! I hurled the Black Book against one of the pillars in the Royal Throne Room. I floated out another healing potion and downed the contents, hoping it would relieve the pounding in my head and the tightness in my chest. The Royal Castle was filled with pink cloud thicker than outside. It had rotted away the tapestries, turned the carpets and draperies into greasy residue, cracked and discoloured the stained glass, and decayed the once royal furniture into collapsed heaps of debris. The golden fountain pools at the foot of the royal throne were tarnished beyond polishing and stagnant with thick pink sludge. At least there were no bones in here, no skeletons of Luna and Celestia. I knew I shouldn't have paused. I needed to keep moving. If I dallied, the pink would kill me or the stealth buck would die and the alicorns would kill me. But still, I'd stopped, my curiosity strangling me, threatening to kill me with razor claws if I didn't at least look inside the book. Just a peek. I'd stopped, telling myself I would just crack the cover open, that I was just making sure the parasprites hadn't eaten the words off the pages. The black book was written in archaic zebra glyphs. Every damn page. The book wanted me to read it. I was sure if I studied it... The answers would come to me in dreams. That didn't help me now. The little pony in my head was throwing a tantrum. Red lights moved about on my EFS compass, and I clamped my muzzle closed, biting my lower lip. Stupid, stupid, stupid! I dashed over, retrieving the book, shivering at the frosty surge I felt from it whenever I touched it with my magic. Two alicorns stepped into the throne room, their shields up. As far as I could tell, the alicorns in the castle never dropped their shields. They seemed to be more resistant to the pink cloud, but they were not immune, and within the cloud's concentration, they were limiting their exposure. I crouched behind the throne, hiding even though I was invisible. I could feel the pink cloud eating at my insides, gnawing at my muscles, clamping down on my lungs and heart, and seeping into my bowels. I already wanted another healing potion, but I had to hold off or I would run out. Princess Luna's private chambers couldn't be far. I could probably make it in a short gallop if these two would just leave. Or at least move so their shields weren't blocking the Celestia damn doorway. I don't see anything, one said, turning to her companion. But I feel something. The room feels colder than it was before. What the hell? Was the Black Book a damn refrigerator? No, that made no sense. The safe it was in would have been freezing. Was the Alicorn sensing something metaphysical? I suddenly wondered how Pinkie Pie would have responded to the proximity of the Black Book. I feel nothing different, the other said, at least partially confirming my suspicions. We should inform Nightseer 
She will know what to make of your sensitivity. The Alicorns took one last look around. One of them walked up to the throne, tilting her head and looking straight at me. Through me. There is nothing here, she said, turning back and rejoining her sister. We go. The door to Princess Luna's chambers was sealed with a lock almost identical to the one which had secured Princess Celestia's room back in her school. A very tricky lock, but familiarity helped me open it swiftly. I pushed open the door with a hoof and stepped swiftly away as the pink cloud rolled into the hallway. The cloud was pooled here in lethal concentrations. I could barely make out the ceiling, which I noticed formed a once beautiful mosaic of a light blue sky with wisps of clouds and a cheery sun. I couldn't make out the far wall at all. I floated out a healing potion, drinking it. I felt it repairing my heart and lungs, taking the edge off the thudding in my head. My stomach settled and I took a deep breath. I charged into the room, my horn glowing to provide light. I was looking for the pressure switch for the gala. Immediately, my heart tried to seize. My lungs lost their cachet of air as I began to choke. It felt like a thousand tiny spiders had hatched in my intestine that were spreading throughout my insides. I found her bed, closet, drawers, but I didn't see the switch. I dashed for the doorway as those spiders started to bite and sting. I slammed the door closed behind me, pulling out two healing potions and downing them. As my mind cleared, I realized I only had one healing potion left, plus a super restoration potion, and I needed to make at least one more run through the room. I nudged open the door, stepping back again, and I lowered myself, preparing to run. A spot of red appeared on my EFS compass. I moaned, shaking. I hoped the invisibility spell would hold out. The last thing I wanted right now was a fight. Come out, come out, my little pony. The Alicorn's majestic voice rang in my head as well as my ears. I turned and watched as he ascended the staircase behind me and stepped into the room with me. She was one of the forest green Alicorns, but her coat was so dark it appeared sheer ebony. Her mane and tail flowed behind her like plasma, rippling in a non-existent wind. She wore armour made of bones, a saddle fashioned from a pony's ribcage, with wing bones splayed out across her own. From her neck hung a pony's skull with an exceptionally long and slender horn. Thick wisps of pooled pink cloud rolled along the floor from Princess Luna's chambers behind me, curling around my hooves. I felt myself trembling. The alicorn stopped, looking right at me. I then looked about the rest of the room. Her horn glowed as she slid a small knife out of her armour. The knife hovered a moment before whipping about, slashing two deep cuts across her own shoulders. The Alagon began to bleed. My eyes widened. I couldn't help but stare at her self-inflicted wounds. My eyes were pulled back to the pony skull, with its long, slender haul. The Alicorn cast her spell, and the blood from her wounds began to drip upwards, flowing out into the air swirling and pooling. Her eyes glowed as the twin pools of floating blood forged themselves into wicked, curving blades. I felt myself trembling again, not with weakness, but with horror. I knew that horn. I'd seen it before, in a memory. Sister, you called for me. The twin bloodswords launched through the air, spinning and slashing at me. One glanced off my barding, bouncing away. The other cut a deep wound across the left side of my neck. Blood began to pour down over my armour and left foreleg, and I hissed in pain, staggering. Oh, oh yes, yes, I see you, my little pony. The alicorn laughed from behind her shield. 
Did you really think you'd hide from Nightseed, your pathetic little invisibility toy? What a silly little pony. The bloodsword spun back through the air at me. I felt another chill as I pulled out the black book, deflecting one of the swords with it as the other struck against my armour with enough force to bruise. The first sword disintegrated into flakes of ruddy powder as it rebounded from the book. Oh, well what do you have there? The alicorn purred. What do you... I grunted, feeling a wave of weakness and nausea. I was losing blood, and I needed to take the healing potion before I bled out, but... The other blade of blood slashed about. I cantered out of the way, the edge barely missing my muzzle. I floated the black book up, trying to strike it, but the blade dodged away, returning to its mistress. I tried to keep my eyes locked on the bloodsword, but my gaze slid from it, latching again on the sight of that skull, that slender horn. This, this is going to be the Lunar Academy for young unicorns, a magical school of my very own, just like yours. The ribs, the wings, the skull with its slender horn. I knew they were all from the same pony. The blade straightened out and shot straight at me, aiming between my eyes. At the last moment, I magically tossed the black book in front of my face. Red mist poured about its edges, the sword dissolving as it struck the black leather cover. I believe I'll be taking you back. Nightseer focused, wrapping her magic about the book. Her shield faltered for a moment as she felt the cold shock of the book's aura, but only for an eye blink, not long enough for me to take advantage. You dare! I was trembling even harder now, but not from weakness or horror. The alicorn took the black book, easily prying it from the grip of my telekinesis. But I didn't care. The black book was nothing to me, not compared to what Nightseer wore around her neck like a trophy. And you die, she said casually, almost yawning as she took the book for herself. Motes of magic formed about her, fashioning themselves into eldritch knives. My legs gave out, and I dropped to my knees. They splashed into a thin pool of my own blood that was becoming saturated with pink. My lungs were burning, my head throbbing harder. I didn't care, be unwavering. I focused on that skull with its long, slender horn. The host of magical knives darted through the air at their target. Nightseer glanced downward as she felt her necklace shift. With a telekinetic thrust, I drove Luna's horn through the soft tissue under Nightseer's muzzle and up into her brain. She twitched once, a spark of life remaining in her just long enough for her eldritch knives to strike home. Most evaporated against my new barding, but several sunk in deep before vanishing along with Nightseer's shield spell as the alicorn crumpled to the ground. No healing potions left. No super restoration potions left. Almost every unarmoured part of my body wrapped in healing bandages. I faced Princess Luna's private chambers, the room filled thickly with pink. The black book was once again in my saddlebags, but my sense of obsession was fading overpowered by other emotions, just like the chill from the book was overpowered by the heat of the fire behind me. I'd stripped Luna's bones from Nightseer, and I was burning them. It was the only semblance of a proper burial I could offer. I faced Princess Luna's private chambers, and I continued to pray. The smoke from the fire behind me curled up, black and acrid. The pink cloud floated out of the doorway in front of me in wisps. The smoke pushed its way inside as more of the cloud flowed outward forcing me to slowly step back until I could feel the heat of the fire breathing against my tail. I jumped as I heard a boom of thunder from outside Princess Luna's chambers. The ceiling mosaic had changed, 
the puffy white clouds growing thick and dark. A moment later, it began to rain inside Luna's room, the sudden deluge washing the pink out of the air. I heard it gurgling out of small vents in the floor. Shaking, I began to laugh. I looked upward and shouted, Thank you! The goddesses had heard me and answered my prayers. Either that or this was the most peculiar design for fire protection ever. Galloping into the pouring rain, I looked about. Finding the switch was easy now. I threw my hooves against the pressure plate and then spun to face the chamber's only window, jumping up on the dilapidated remains of Luna's bed to keep my hooves out of the pink water that flooded the floor. Outside the window, I could hear pops and bangs. A ribbon of glittering golden light shot into the air and burst into a prismatic spray of light. I fished out the pink gemstone just in time to see its glow fading. Success! The gem's light died and I saw the rune inside had burned out, replaced by a blackened smear within the stone. I jumped on Luna's bed, squealing with glee as another light exploded outside the window, showering down on Cantalot with all the colours of Celestia's flowing mane. I knew there were more fireworks going off that I couldn't see, many more. For a moment, the thunderous explosions rivaled the sound of a hundred steel hooves firing away, and then exceeded it. I shifted away from the window, now eager to get back to my friends. On the opposite wall, I saw them, a collection of Ministry Mare statuettes, all six, gathered together, just like they should be, lined up in a crystal display case. I realised that only Luna and Spike had kept their intact collections. Even Rarity had separated the ponies in her set, giving herself to her sister Sweetie Belle, and keeping Fluttershy with her wherever she went. I wrapped my magic around the case, taking it with me. Well, would you just look at all this stuff? Calamity said with a tone of awe. Watcher had told us that the Ministry of Awesome had been repurposed as a warehouse, but I'd never pictured this. The interior walls had been knocked out. The entire building was a gigantic black void filled with seemingly endless rows of crates, filing cabinets and metal boxes. The rows were divided into clear sections that stretched the length of the building. Each section filled with containers painted a single colour. Small, diamond-shaped lights hung from the ceiling at intervals, many of which had burned out. The effect was like staring down the length of a rainbow under a black sky sprinkled with stars. Are y'all seeing all of this? Yes, Velvet Remedy said, staring. Can we just... No, I answered. It would take forever, and there was no way we could carry it all. How about just one row? Calamity pleaded. No, I looked about. What we're looking for is behind the shields, and behind defences. I don't think it's in this room, which means it's probably below us. Fan out and look for a way down. Well, shoot. Y'all are no fun. Calamity complained as he flew off. Pylite swooped into the air, a streak of emerald and gold between the rainbow and the darkness. Velvet, hold up. I said as she and Steelhooves began to trot down between rows in the yellow section and a green section, respectively. Velvet stopped, turning towards me. Then, unable to help herself, she struck a pose. Admiring it? She cooed. Isn't this just lovely? She was wearing the armour that Calamity had given her. When I first saw her in it, my heart had skipped a beat. Now that she was posing, my heart skipped another. She grinned, watching my expression. Or do you prefer this? She dropped down into a sultry, pouty pose. My heart threatened to stop altogether. I suddenly felt hot. I... I am... Um, wow! 
She beamed. Damn it, this wasn't fair. I wasn't supposed to be thinking like this about Velvet Remedy anymore. I needed homage. So, how do I look? Lickable, I whimpered. She blinked innocently. What was that? Pretty, I coughed, blushing. Very, very pretty and armoured, which is good. Good that you finally have some armour. She gave a charming laugh, getting up. Why, thank you, little Pip. Looking up at the spot of air Calamity had recently occupied, she purred, I hope I can get the same response from our flybuck. Oh, barded bard, I said, gazing at her. Velvet Remedy face-hoofed and shook her head. I was waiting for some pony to say that. It just had to be you, didn't it, little Pip? I started, realising I'd forgotten why I called her to hold back. I have a gift for you too. She blinked, putting down her hoof. Really? You'd think it was my birthday. She watched as I pulled out a wrapped bundle, with a slightly chiding tone. Is it a weapon? No, I said, slightly wounded. But this is really very special, and you have to promise not to take it apart or remove anything from it, ever. Velvet Remedy now looked curious and slightly worried. Promise, I required. It's important. All right, little Pip. I can see that it is, at least to you. I promise. I floated the bundle up to her, unwrapping the crystal case from Princess Luna's bedroom. Velvet Remedy gasped, her eyes going immediately to Fluttershy. She reached out with her magic to try and take the case, and I heard the sharp intake of air as the magic of each of the statuettes flooded over her at once. Back in the royal castle, picking up the case had not really had any effect on me, but then I already possessed a full set. They were already giving me what they had to give. I'd kept a net of levitation magic beneath the crystal case, just as a precaution should the gifts of the statuettes be overwhelming. Velvet Remedy's eyes widened, first with alarm and then understanding. Where? she asked, her voice trembling a little. There were tears in her eyes. Princess Luna's private chambers. These were hers, and now they're yours. And did you find... Just bones, I said sadly. Their spirits have gone elsewhere. I didn't say more. Lil Pip, you're four! Calamity shouted as I emptied a little Macintosh into the body of the Ultra Sentinel, penetrating its armour but failing to take it down. It rolled closer, moving fully into the large aisle of orange boxes and cabinets. I spun, terrified to see another of the rainbow-painted robot tanks bearing down on me from behind, the turret of its main gun locking onto me. Wrapping myself in a field of levitation, I kicked off from the ground. Both Ultra Sentinels fired at me with high-explosive anti-tank guns, slaying each other. The next dial over, Steelhoofs was facing at least two more, opening up with a grenade machine gun. The tanks were taking the battering, firing back with a multi-gem rapid-fire magical energy gun. The scream of the magical energy weapons dampened as one of the tanks went down. The flickering orbs of energy above my head and calamities popped as Velvet's disintegration wards saved Steelhoofs from being turned to ash. Steelhoofs fired several more grenades and then retreated around the corner, smoke curling off his armour. Several of the plates of armour were gone, taking melted flesh with them, leaving egregious and gaping wounds that seeped with the dark fluid that formed a cantaloc ghoul's blood. He stumbled in pain. The missile launcher in his battle saddle was half disintegrated. More than just a diet of scrap metal would be needed to repair the damage. Calamity started to reach back for Spitfire's thunder, but I waved him on. 
My EFS compass was completely red. Solid no matter which direction I turned. There's got to be a hundred of these things in here, Calamity! And this was only the first line of defence. The goddesses knew what else was in here. We aren't going to fight our way out of this! You need to find the controls and shut security down! You're the only one of us who can! I whipped out my sniper rifle, loaded with magically enchanted bullets, and floated over the top of the shelves of crates, taking aim at the badly damaged tank bot which sent steel hooves running. The multi-gem magical energy weapon swung upwards on a universal joint, aiming all of its barrels at me. We opened fire together. My new armour took the first four of the five shots it got off in the space it took me to fire once. The fifth blast of magical energy struck me like a ball of molten steel, burning into my chest. Unbearable agony exploded in my chest as my ribcage saved my heart, but at the cost of one of my ribs disintegrating completely. Ah! (laughs) My magic imploded as I dropped. Simultaneously, the bullet from my sniper rifle struck directly into the centre of the tankbot's magical energy weapon, ripping through to its core matrix. The top of the Ultra Sentinel exploded in a flash of multicoloured energy. My body hit the shelf full of orange metal boxes like a ragdoll, bouncing off and landing hard onto the floor amongst the jagged shards of the slain tank bot. I felt one shard slice into my armour, jabbing into my stomach, but not too deeply. An odd, static-like detonation echoed a few rows over, and Steelhooves let out a scream, more of rage than pain as I heard his metal armour collapse to the floor. I groaned, an indescribable pain in my chest. I was having trouble breathing. They're changing tactics again! Velvet Remedy yelled from somewhere further away. The air filled with the sound of cracking explosions. A wash of charged energy flooded the aisle, bathing me and making the hairs of my coat and mane stand on end. My eyes forward sparkle winked off, and I twisted about slowly, lifting my pit buck. It was dead. Matrix disruption grenades. That meant Steelhooves was immobile, and my pit buck was just a metal part of my leg until I could reboot it which might be tricky without Steelhoof's armour to reboot it from. I heard the metallic whine and rumble as another Ultra Sentinel rolled into my aisle. I tried to flip my sniper rifle around to fire at it, only to realise I didn't have it anymore, and wasn't sure where it was. Must have fallen into the other row. The rainbow-painted tank bot had a grenade launcher as its primary weapon, probably the one that had just sprayed the area with Matrix Disruption grenades. The secondary weapon was an integrated, high-powered rifle, and it was swinging around to aim at me. I focused, the glow of my magic surrounded dozens of crates and metal boxes on each side of the aisle. I couldn't dislodge the tank bot's spark batteries before it could fire, but I could float enough crap into its way to act as a shield. And then the tank depowered. Yeehaw! And that's how we do it up in the sky! A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Mint Mobile.com. 
The shimmering field of magenta magical energy surrounded about one-fourth of the basement. The shield was easily as powerful as the Super Alcorn shield in Philadelphia. Velvet Remedy took a deep breath, looking a little nervous, and then stepped forward. The direct descendant of Sweetie Belle passed through the shield unharmed. It didn't even frizz her mane. She turned back to us, letting out a breath, and looking relieved. This part was easy. Actually explaining to Velvet what she needed to do to disable the generator was more difficult than bypassing the shield itself. I motioned her on with my hoof. At this point, the only thing that could go wrong is if she ran out of air inside there before deactivating the generator. Not something that seemed remotely likely. A few minutes later, the shield melted away. Velvet stood at the depowered generator in the centre, looking accomplished. In here were the greatest secrets of the Ministry of Awesome. I turned to Calamity, who was prancing in the air like a filly who just got her cutie mark. I really hate to do this to you, Calamity, but would you please go and get the Sky Bandit? His face fell. I actually felt bad for him. What? Now? But but I'll... Steel hooves can't move. My pit buck is dead. And we can't go back out the way we came. We need to risk a landing right in front of the Ministry of Awesome. This was insane, but I couldn't think of another way. Fortunately, we had seriously thinned out the alicorns out in Ministry Walk, and the fireworks had scattered most of the rest. There was no telling for how long, though. Calamity looked disappointed, almost grievously wounded by my request, and I looked at him seriously. You're the fastest and most manoeuvrable among us, and the only one who can bring our ride. Get the Sky Bandit and position yourself up above the cloud. Take my binoculars and keep an eye out for us. The moment we're out, swoop down and get us. Oh, rag, dang it, he said dejectedly. I floated out the pink gemstone with the scorch mark inside. This is yours. It's done. Calamity smiled wanly. Ah, thank you, little pip. I owe you one. He slipped the gem into his pack, looking a little better. The orange main pegasus in the desperado hat pivoted and flew away, casting one look back at the treasures he was being denied. I sure hope sacrifice is a virtue. I rotated and looked at the crates and cabinets before me. On one end of the previously shielded area was a mainframe and several terminals. In the centre, under a spotlight, was a stand with a small lockbox, the sort used to hold memory orbs. I gasped as I saw the symbol emblazoned on the lockbox. A burning hoof. Minutes later, I was laying on the floor of the Ministry of Awesome, staring at the contents of the burning hoof lockbox. Six memory orbs, each sat in a plush velvet indentation with a symbol pinned underneath. An apple, a butterfly, a star, a balloon, a cloud with a bolt of lightning, and finally a diamond. I took a deep breath, then leaned forward and touched my horn to the first one. The Lightning Cloud Orb I felt my host swallow nervously as she walked into the darkened, circular chamber. Huge, arched windows stretched upwards, giving a breathtaking view of a brilliantly starry night. A circular window above the arches perfectly framed the moon. Moonlight fell through the chamber to illuminate a large, round table. There were seven chairs, six with emblems emblazoned on their backs, one of which was taller than the others and inlaid with obsidian and lapis lazuli. My host strode up between the chairs, looking at the table. The chairs were cushioned in red. The same emblem from the back of each chair was also inlaid in the table before them, where a dinner plate might be set. To my host's left was the image of Gears and Sparks, bisected with a blade, the symbol of the Steel Rangers and the Ministry of Wartime Technology. 
To her right was the image of a large star ringed with smaller ones, a tall horn above them and wings to each side, the symbol of the Ministry of Arcane Sciences. Directly across the table, I could see a cross overlaid with a butterfly. My host didn't look at the others. The rest of the table was taken up with a map of Equestria. There were markings indicating battle lines where the Zebras had managed to push into the country. Most of the war, however, was being waged in the Zebras' homeland and in the seas and lands between. My host's gaze lingered on a small part of Equestria that had been lost, including a crescent-shaped canyon, Little Horn Valley. All over the map of Equestria, tall mushroom-shaped models had been placed. At first, I thought they marked Balefire bombs, but then I realised they were white, and their stalks were tall and needle-thin. Towers. Somebody flew overhead, picking up one of the towers in her teeth and moving it half an inch. The Philadelphia Tower should be on that side of the city! Revo dashed as he landed on the opposite side of the table, sitting down in one of the chairs. The symbol in front of it was almost identical to her cutie mark, but with purple wings lined in back. I'd seen that symbol on one of her Shadow Bolt uniforms. Where should I sit? My host asked, her voice holding a reserved country twang. Rainbow Dash shrugged. Why not sit in your sister's chair? I'm sure AJ wouldn't mind. Applebloom's eyes widened. I couldn't do that. A door opened and Princess Luna strode into the room. I felt a javelin skew on my heart. Applebloom and Rainbow Dash both bowed as the princess took her chair at the head of the table. Good night, Rainbow Dash. And welcome back, Applebloom. Applebloom gulped. Please, up. I didn't want her to stand back up. This was painful. I was in the presence of Luna, my goddess, living and well. Not an hour after having burned her bones, and having seen her defiled by an alicorn. I wished for Applebloom to remain bowed, or at least look away. Applebloom stood back up, realising Rainbow Dash had already been standing, and turned her attention to the princess. It is good to hear you're finally doing something with the ministry that I gave you, Rainbow Dash. The princess said, chiding a little. Now, tell me about this new project. It seems vast. Oh yeah! Rainbow Dash grinned, flapping her wings. It seemed she couldn't remain seated long. Remember how you told me you wanted my help in building the Equestrian Skyguard? Well, here's my answer. The Single Pegasus Project. Sounds impressive. Princess Luna said patiently. What is it? In a word, weather control! That's two words, Applebloom whispered to the Cyan Pegasus, who shot her a look. The single Pegasus project was weather control. Well, I guess that made some sense. If the Enclave was able to alter the towers so that they could plant crops in the crowds. Weather control? Luna said, tilting her head curiously, echoing my thoughts and then taking them in a whole different direction. So this project will allow us to rain lightning down on enemy positions, mire their convoys with torrential downpours, drive them back with hurricanes and hail. Rainbow Dash's jaw nearly hit the floor. She closed it, zipping about the room. Oh yeah! This is even more awesome than I thought! I mean, I knew it would be awesome, but I never realised just how awesome it could be! Princess Luna chuckled. Goddesses, I love that chuckle. I was in awe of it. Then what were you thinking of using it for? Rainbow Dash stopped in mid-loop and hovered, turning back to the princess as she shook off a blush. Well, the way I see it, this will be one through air superiority. No offense to Twilight. I mean, we have it, and they don't. She flew up to the table. The problem is, is that we don't have enough combat flyers. 
especially now that the zebras are using dragons. They're simply out of a pegasite because they're all too busy keeping control of the weather. And the ones we do have often leave for other obligations. Hell, even I have to abandon the war once a year to help Poeville wrap up winter. Surely some other Pegasus, Princess Luna started to say, but Rainbow Dash interrupted her. Not a chance! They need me! I won't leave Ponyville hanging! Princess Luna looked cross for a moment, and then smiled and nodded. Of course. Looking back at the map, she bid, continue. Well, with the single Pegasus project, we're going to finally automate all of our weather making and weather control systems. The towers you see here will control the weather over each area. The wild, rainbow-maned Pegasus grinned broadly, almost dancing with anticipation. Check this out! Rainbow Dash pulled out a little switch and tossed it. Both Applebloom and Princess Luna jumped as a crack of thunder roared over the table, and black rings of smoke expanded from each of the model towers, crackling with energy. That would start rain! Having seen a downpour from Princess Luna's ceiling, I was mildly surprised when miniature clouds didn't form and start flooding the table. I designed it after the contrails of the Wonderbolts! Rainbow Dash boasted. Everything about the single Pegasus project goes through me, and it doesn't get my hoof of approval unless it's cool! I felt my host roll her eyes. And it will all be under the management of one single Pegasus in the Rainbow Dash hub of pure awesome! We're still deciding on a name. Applebloom quickly interjected at Princess Luna's chagrined expression. Rainbow Dash looked a little put out. Hey, it's my project and my ministry! Anyway, Applebloom said, taking over. The pony in the central hub will be placed into some sort of induced coma. Induced coma? Princess Luna said, sounding shocked. We haven't exactly worked that part out yet either, Applebloom admitted. But we're really close! Rainbow Dash interjected swiftly. Applebloom's company is working on modifying a life support pod, and I'm going to be talking to Twilight and Rarity to see if they have any ideas that could help. I see. The princess didn't sound fully convinced. And hooked up to one of our new Crusader computers. Applebloom continued, only to have Rainbow Dash interrupt again. Yeah, but none of that download your brain nonsense. I had them disconnect all that stuff. I want a living pony running Equestria's weather, not some machine that thinks it's a pony. Applebloom sighed, and then continued once more. The pony in the life support part will be mentally linked to the Crusader, which Lambert and Man running of all Equestria's weather. Does it have to be a Pegasus? The princess asked. Yeah? Rainbow Dash proclaimed. Well, no, not technically, but it should be. Princess Luna looked over the map at all of its towers, at least four dozen in all. You have given me a lot to think about. This will be a massive expenditure of resources. But totally worth it! Rainbow Dash pushed, sounding hopeful. Princess Luna nodded. Most likely, she agreed with a smile. And I believe the Ministry of Morale and Image each have proposals that could be integrated into this. The princess stood, and the Central Hub will be a prime target for assault, so it will need defences that the Ministry of Arcane Sciences and Wartime Technology can devise. But it will still be my project, right? Rainbow Dash asked. It'll still be the Ministry of Awesome! Of course. Velvet Remedy and I trotted back down the red row, steel hooves floating along beside me, our weapons and supplies floating behind. I winced, holding a hoof to my chest. Velvet Remedy had done the best she could for me with her magic, rebuilding the rib I'd lost, but it still hurt like hell, and I was still having trouble breathing. The damage had weakened me, 
and it would take time and potions before I could regain my endurance. I plan to ascend, Red Eye had told me. Some pony will have to take up the task that the princesses and Pegasi have left to run wild. After all, some pony will have to regulate the weather to raise the sun and the moon. Weather control. Now I knew how he intended to pull that off, just as I knew how he was going to become a god capable of doing Celestia and Luna's tasks, and I realised he would be able to move the sun and moon too, since neither of them stood in the way to, as Princess Luna had told Midnight Shower, trump his efforts. I wasn't sure on the details, but by now I'd learned enough to know that Red Eye had a plan. Even if I couldn't see it, that Cyberpony knew exactly what he was doing. After hacking the Ministry of Awesome's terminal, I've been able to review the specifics of the single Pegasus project. Unfortunately, without my pit buck, I had no way of saving a copy of any information or schematics. It occurred to me that I may need to have the memory recorded so I could review it later. What I didn't know was that I didn't learn until a lot later was that accessing that terminal had set off alarms someplace far, far away and that the war was coming. Several things were clear. The single Pegasus project was indeed designed for equestria-wide weather control. The central hub for the SPP was located above the clouds and had some of the most fearsome defences I had ever imagined, including a shield that put the one in the Ministry of Awesome to shame. There was a bypass spell on the shield, but I had no idea who it was designed to let through. My guess was Rainbow Dash. The suspended animation pod from which the single Pegasus project was supposed to be run was unoccupied. It had never been activated. A dull rumble shook the Ministry of Awesome. The lights above swayed, and dust showered down, and poorly stacked boxes thudded to the floor throughout the building. I looked up, shocked from my reverie. I turned to Velvet Remedy as another tremor vibrated the floor. We trotted faster, my chest beginning to ache badly as we picked up the pace. We flung the doors open, and were greeted by chokingly thick pink and flames. My lungs collapsed, and I fell to the ground with my magic imploding. I dropped steel hooves. I felt myself dying. The pink cloud tearing me apart like I was filled with Philadelphia parasprites. Velvet Remedy collapsed next to me with a weak cry. The basement had been huge, stretching about under a third of the Ministry Walk. When it blew, the explosion breached the tunnel between the Royal Treasury and Princess Celestia's school for gifted unicorns. The remains of the field were filling with insanely lethal concentration of pink cloud, setting off the gala fireworks and turning the Mother Dragon into a mouse had not made all that cloud magically disappear. It was more diffused here, but that just meant we had seconds more to live. Maybe a full minute, most of that without consciousness. My vision blurred and darkened. I felt Pyolite thump limply down on my back. I barely saw the shadow of the Sky Bandit dropping out of the air above us. Velvet Remedy shoved all three of the Super Restoration potions she was carrying into my muzzle, making me drink, and then fell into unconsciousness. I felt my body jolted alive as the overdose of healing magic flooded through me. I was alive to the point I was burning up. My nerves were on fire, but I was conscious, and that was enough to levitate every pony and everything around me. I tossed us all into the Sky Bandit, shouting for Calamity to fly as fast as he could. Already I was beginning to weaken, the cloud gnawing at me. The pink cloud was hurting Calamity too, and Fast was not very fast at all. I could hear him grunt, straining to keep us aloft whinnying with the effort. I pulled open Velvet Remedy's medical boxes. We were out of super restoration potions, but maybe she had a healing potion left. Nothing. I closed it and crawled around to her other side, but before I could open the box, 
Calamity fell unconscious, and the Sky Bandit began to fall. I tried to focus, but my brain felt like it was being beaten with a sledgehammer. I screamed with the effort. My lungs were hot coals in my breast, tapping into reserves I shouldn't have had anymore. Be strong, be unwavering, be awesome. I enveloped us all with my magic, my horn flaring with an overglow. The strain was excruciating, and the Sky Bandit drifted downwards until it splashed into the river, heavily ribboned with pink, which formed a moat around the front of Cantalot. I was tossed forward, falling on top of Velvet Remedy. The Sky Bandit seemed willing to float, the magic that allowed Clamity to pull it through its air with all of us inside apparently making us buoyant. Or maybe the goddesses were again showing us mercy. Either way, I released my magic, falling weakly to the floor of the passenger wagon. I pressed a hoof against Velvet Remedy's neck, then checked Pilate's breathing. They were both unconscious, but alive. I prayed that neither of them were in a coma. The passenger wagon began to turn lazily in the flowing water. My ears perked as they caught the roar of the waterfall. No, no, no. So much for the mercy of the goddesses. I didn't even waste energy of getting back to my hooves. I threw my magic around the sky bandit and prayed. The passenger wagon reached the edge and began to tip. My horn flared again, enveloped by another overglow as I struggled to keep us from somersaulting. The water continued to shove us over the outcropping, and we burst through the pink cloud, and we were falling. I pushed us forward, as far away from the falling water as I could while we fell. I kept us from flipping and slowed our fall, but I didn't have the strength to stop our fall completely or even really guide us. And Cantalot was a long way up the side of the mountain. Velvet Remedy was thrown from the passenger wagon when the Sky Bandit hit the Zebratan Aqueduct with a jarring thud. It was almost wide enough for the passenger wagon to slide down the broadside. Her body landed in the aqueduct and was swept away in the rushing water. Whoa, Nelly! Calamity jerked conscious, clapping his wings as hard as he could. I dodged Steelhoof's sliding body and jumped out after Velvet as Calamity struggled to get the passenger wagon under his control. I heard a peeling metallic scream from behind me as the Sky Bandit scraped against the walls of the aqueduct, Calamity trying to pull up. Ahead of me, I saw Velvet's body. I lashed out with my telekinesis, and water splashed into my muzzle. I wheezed, fire igniting in my lungs again, worse than before. My magic faltered on the edge of burnout. I focused harder kicking with all four legs as I battled to keep my head above the water while concentrating on Velvet Remedy. I had to get us out of the water before she drowned. I cast out my magic again, and this time I caught her, lifting her up out of the water as we both rushed down the aqueduct. I began to draw her closer, reel her in. Now I was merely struggling to keep from being pulled under. But it was a losing battle. I was not even an adequate swimmer. My head went under, and my lungs took in water. I broke the surface again, coughing violently. My magic had imploded and Velvet had fallen back into the water, two ponies lengths in front of me. One of the collapsed sections of the aqueduct loomed just ahead. I kicked, this time propelling myself forward. I reached out, hooking my foreleg around Velvet's and trying to grab a hold of her, wishing I had talons rather than hooves. I got my other foreleg around her neck and we twisted about in the water, rushing towards the edge as I tried to keep either of us from drowning. I fought to wrap us in magic, but I was too overstressed and exhausted. The spell just wouldn't manifest. We washed over to the side, plummeting towards the broken blocks of the aqueduct below. Calamity caught us. 
and promptly splash landed on the edge of the lake which had formed beneath the broken aqueduct. Velvet Remedy and I flew out of his forelegs and hit the mud, sliding to a stop. I struggled to get up, to crawl over to her and make sure she was still breathing. I would have settled for squirming through the mud if it got me closer, but my body wouldn't respond at all. It had quit. Too much trauma, too much stress, in too short a period of time. Enough. The Diamond Orb The wash from landing the Griffin Chaser 4 tugged at my hood and flapped my cloak behind me. I watched as Rarity stepped off the flying machine, her head bundled in a fashionable scarf to protect her mane from the wind. She trotted towards me as the pony-pedaled whirligig gig lifted back into the brilliant blue sky. I basked in the light and warmth of the midday sun, such a rare and precious gift, as my host watched the beautiful white unicorn approach. There you are! She smiled as if my host had been lost. Is everything ready? Yes, Mistress Rarity, my host said in a naturally husky voice. If I may ask, who will be the victim of this spell? Rarity cocked her head, looking at my host oddly. Why me, of course? I felt my host's jaw drop. I wouldn't dream of doing something like this to any other pony. Of, of course, my host said, clearly taken aback. Then, if I may ask, how many? The Griffin Chaser 4 was now far enough away that the wind had died. The squeaking sound of the machine was fading into the distance. Rarity motioned with a hoof for my host to follow, walking towards a set of glass doors on a quaintly nondescript building. My host galloped forward and tipped his head. I felt the casual flow of magic as he opened the door for the Ministry Mayor. Why, thank you, she beamed at him. Such manners. Rarity gave my host a little kiss on the horn. He turned and followed her inside, watching her reverently. She was gorgeous, sexy in a way that transcended her age. Regal. My host was male, yet the only stirring was in his heart. He was a perfect gentle stallion, not just in appearance. I found he was a male I didn't mind having as my host in the slightest, and I felt ashamed, remembering what I'd done two weeks ago while sick in Steelhoof's shack. My host was a better pony than I. Forty-two, Rarity announced. My host stopped dead, his heart skipping a beat, and not in a good way. His muzzle gaped, his eyes widening in shock, if not outright horror. Forty-two? My own mind was reeling. Well, actually, forty-three, she said whimsically. I do wish to keep a small part of myself. You? My host stood there, shaking. You want me to cut your soul into forty-two pieces, he said weakly. I mean, forty-three. Yes, she nodded primly. Rarity smiled, walking up to my host and putting a hoof on his shoulder. Oh, don't worry. I know you can do this. I... I... I'm always telling ponies that my top magician is the absolute master when it comes to magic and cutting things, she said encouragingly. And that, Snips, is you. My host, Snips, swallowed nervously and nodded. Now, is the chamber ready? You've had enough time with the black book? Snips nodded again. But Mistress Rarity, 43? I can't be sure you'll survive or what you'll be like afterwards. Rarity's smile faltered, revealing a deep sadness behind her mask. I'll survive. We all will. She pulled her warm, confident demeanor back on. Now, I've sent Snails the soldiers. He'll be doing the guidance, so don't you worry about that. From what I've read, the shards will seek out the vessels themselves, so it's practically idiot-proof. 
She patted me on the shoulder. Just worry about the cutting. Shards of your soul, my host said softly. Pieces, a lot of pieces, began to fall into place. Yes, Rarity took a deep breath. Now I'll be right down. I just need to freshen up a bit first. She began to trot off, and then turned and looked beseechingly at my host. All pretense of being happy or worry-free had evaporated. She looked scared. Snips, will it hurt? Her voice was almost like that of a filly. Snips swallowed hard, frowned, and admitted, Mistress Rarity, it will probably redefine torture. Rarity gave a little shake and strangled back a soft whimper, and then pulled herself back together, lifting her head high. Well, at least it will be quick. She disappeared down the hall. My host watched her go until the shadows of the hallway enveloped her, and then he turned, using his magic to push a block high in the wall. A grating sound filled the hallway as stones slid into stones, revealing a hidden stairwell that descended into blackness. Minutes later, my host was standing in a darkened ritual chamber. The only light was from a few glowing gemstones set within a strange set of glyphs that shimmered with a crimson liquid, and a single candle. The candle illuminated a stand upon which the black book rested. The air in the room was exceedingly chilly, and I could see my host's breath. Forty-three snails? My host moaned. Rarity wants me to cut her soul into forty-three pieces. I... I don't know if I can do it. Forty-three? The other, taller robed unicorn, asked slowly. But there's only forty-two soul jars. I counted. Twice, in case I messed up the first time. Yeah, she says she wants to keep one piece for herself. What, is she giving the rest away as gifts or something? Snips shook his head. I don't know. He looked up. Hey, snails, you okay? Yeah, the other unicorn said slowly. I just hope I don't mess anything up. I felt Snips sigh. Hey, you won't mess it up. Mistress Rarity wouldn't trust something this big to pony she thought might mess it up. He gave snails an encouraging smile. Remember what Rarity always says about you? That I'm tall? No, the other thing, Snips urged. That I may be slow, but I always get there eventually, Snail said, his voice building in confidence. And that's better than she can say for most ponies. That's right, Snips clapped. Now go to the soldiers and be ready. This, this is really going to happen. We've always wanted to see some awesome magic, Snails reminisced. And this is the most awesomest. Yeah, Snips said, sounding a little nervous again. The room was cold and dark and still. The light of the candle flickered as the candle slowly burned down. It felt like forever before Rarity came down the stairs. When she did, she was wrapped in a black hooded robe and she was attending her own funeral. And without a word, she walked to the centre of the chamber, standing in the midst of all the softly glowing gems. Snips turned towards her, levitating the black book in front of him. Carefully, he read the alien words, words from a long dead zebra tongue, born of madness, or possibly born of the stars. I felt my host concentrate, pouring all of his focus into the spell. I felt the power wash over me, not only from within, but without, power drawn from strange black places. The magic was vile and repulsive, and I felt violated. Rarity lifted from the floor, beginning to float upwards as a small magical vortex pooled beneath her. The 
vortex of eldritch energy rose up and began to wrap itself about the unicorn mare, curling about her like a cocoon or a constricting snake. Her expression was one of mounting worry, edging swiftly towards panic, but never getting there. Instead, the screaming began. I wanted to pull out of the memory orb. I couldn't bear to hear those screams. Not of pain, but of nightmarish mental anguish. I remembered my hellish ride in the autonomous healing booth. What the spell was doing to Rarity was orders of magnitude worse. The black magic washed over Snips, cooling at the tip of his horn, and then taking flight. A sphere of pure void, blacker than the absolute darkness, took flight from our horn and collided with the eldritch energy spinning about Rarity. There was an explosion as darkness turned to light, and the eldritch energies transformed into a prismatic legion of shattered lights, streaking over Snips' head leaving bright plasma trails behind them as they homed in on their receptacles. Snips never turned to watch. He never looked at the soul jars. The unicorn buck only had eyes for rarity, and he dashed to catch her as she fell, unconscious, to the floor. But then, he didn't have to. I already knew what they were. How far would you go for your friends? How much would you give up for them? With all I had seen of Rarity, I knew her deepest fear and greatest pain was losing her friends, seeing them drift apart, fracturing. Oh no, I'm fine. It's just sometimes it feels we're pulling apart, and I can't stand to see that happen. I really must do something about it. What did I know of soul jars? I knew that they were virtually indestructible, eternal. I knew that you could hang other spells on them, allowing those spells to last effectively forever. But if you touched it or focused your magic on it, then a spell took a picture of your soul. I remembered being Spike as Rarity led all her friends down a hallway to see Rainbow Dash's new armour. I recalled the strange carpet we had walked across, and the sudden chill when Spike had stepped on it. Twilight Sparkle had reacted to it as well. Of course she had. Twilight had felt that particular chill before, from Rarity's mirror. I even suspect she was about to call Rarity on it when Rarity distracted her with Rainbow Dash. And then a second enchantment allowed the mirror to show the image. A reflection of the soul, of who you truly were, deep inside. A picture is only a picture, but a picture with that spell placed on it would be more than the image of just a pony. It would radiate with an aura of her true soul. And Twilight... Pinkie Pie had asked her in that final message, the one Twilight Sparkle had never received. Do you think maybe you could go with me? I'm kind of scared, and it isn't the sort of scared that goes away with giggling. I mean, I have you with me now, so you'll kind of be with me anyway. I should be there for her. It's like she's with me. Some pony should be there, Scootaloo had said, coughing violently. Just want Dash to know. We didn't all... she's not alone. 42. Only 42 were ever made. Watcher, Spike, had told me. Seven sets of six, one for each of the Ministry Mares, and one for Princess Luna. Concentrating, I opened my saddlebags and floated out Rarity's soul jars, setting them all before me. Altogether, they were stronger, better that way. Be strong. Be pleasant. Be unwavering. Be smart. Be awesome. Awareness, it was under E. Footnotes. Maximum level. Quest perk added. 
My Little Ponies. You have collected one of each of the six Ministry Bear statuettes. Together stronger than they are apart. They have granted you plus one luck in addition to their normal benefits. And that's the end of Cantalot. If you stuck with me the whole way through, I'm mighty grateful. We're nearing the end of Pip's Tale in the Wasteland. Check back in for the next episode when my voice has managed to recover. So let's have some music now. How about some more Wasteland Whalers with On Our Own? Seems fitting. Enjoy, people. Waiting through a ruthless way.